Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. Welcome back to the Holler. Hope you're having a good Monday. I have an exciting guest today before we get to Hendrell. Just want to let you all know we are at tnholler.com is where you can find us. That's where you can subscribe to what we do, support the holler. Your small dollar monthly donations are really what keep us going. We also have hollers all across the state now. We have 10 new hollers this year. That's all thanks to you and the support that you give us. So we really, really appreciate it. And make sure to follow all the hollers and spread the word about them. Today we have an awesome guest, uh, somebody who has just made history Hendrell Remus, the new chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party. Hendrell, how are you, sir? I am at work. <laughs> You're at work. Good. It's yeah, I'm at, be. I, I feel great. Um, I'm at the I'm at the headquarters today. Uh, had some staff meetings. Um, had some meetings with some of our uh, uh, Democratic stakeholders. So uh, I'm already in the thick of it, doing the doing the work that's needed. Well, that's really cool. I mean, I guess I want to ask you first of all. You know, do you feel the historic nature of your win or do you prefer that to just not be <laughs> talked about as much well i i've you know obviously I, it's an exciting uh, it's an exciting moment I, you know being able to hear from former teachers and co-workers and friends about how historic it is and even my wife i think i think she's more overwhelmed with the his the more historic aspect of it uh, than I am. I, I, I understand that it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous um, uh, opportunity uh, for uh, African Americans across the state. It's a tremendous opportunity for our party to show that we are the big tent uh, party that we proclaim to be. Um, but most importantly, my focus has been on not blowing this, doing the work that <laughs> that's going to make us, that's going to make us um, effective as a as a organization. So that's, that's been my focus and, and we've made history. Now it's time for us to, uh, to make Tennessee blue. Well, I just want people to know we can see your comments as you follow along. If you have questions for Hendrell, pipe in with them, feel free. Uh, we had a forum here a while back. That's where we sort of first met you at the holler anyway. And I, I didn't really know you that well either. Uh, you were one of a few people at that point at what point did you feel like, all right, I might have a shot at winning this thing? I think, you know, when I got into this thing, I started calling. I started calling uh, executive committee members myself to personally let them know that I was going to uh, run for the seat and to just kind of hear their ideas. And in those in those early conversations after announcing that I was going to run, um, I said I said from the beginning, I'm going to win this thing <laughs> because. You know, I understood the struggles that that uh, that we were facing as a party, but most importantly, I was willing to listen to uh, the concerns of the executive committee members, and uh, many of their concerns uh, resonated with some of the concerns that I had. And I knew that if I could stick to that, and if I could deliver a uh, campaign platform that 
that was built around and centered around that and uh, lay out a vision for the party uh, that uh, that would uh, would help ease many of uh, many of those concerns that they had, then then we'd be in a good place. And, and it worked. Uh, so I'm ready to do the work now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the work then. I don't want to harbor too much on the race. The race is done. You won moving forward now. You know, I think one of the challenges that you'll probably face is getting people excited, but also managing expectations for for what can be possible. Can you talk a little bit about that push and pull and, you know, where where you're able to to walk that line? Yeah. So, you know, one of the one of the things that I've been that I've been so, so glad to see and, and hear, you know, there's been an, an abundance of emails that have come in, you know, people saying that, hey, I hadn't I hadn't voted for a Democrat since Bredesen ran for governor or I've been detached from the political process, but I'm excited and it's good to see all the great things you're doing. And then there's people who act like I just walked out of the clouds and they're like, thank heavens you're here. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and, you know, to everyone, I, you know, I, I say that this is this is not going to be some um, maybe we, it'll be a magical moment, but it's not going to be without hard work. It's not going to be without uh, commitment from a whole host of people who are joining in the fight and joining in the effort. Um, one man, one party can't do this alone. It's going to take each and every one of us. So. Uh, the expectation should be that if if we're not all willing to have some stake in the game, uh, then then it's going to be it's going to be rough. Uh, one of the things that I that I that I said during the campaign was that in two years, we're going to either look back and say one or two things. We're going to be very proud of the party that we've built or we are going to be talking about all the shoulda, woulda, couldas if if we'd done something different with the party chair. So I'm I'm leaning more towards building a party we can be proud of. And and I want everybody to understand that, you know, I understand that you're excited. I know that this is a huge moment, but it's uh, the success that we'll achieve in the future is only possible if we're all working towards a common goal. So I see everybody's questions and we're going to get to some of them soon here. I want you to know that. Keep keep sending them to us. Um, you know, not to harp on the historic aspect of it, but having a black chair now, do you think that that raises a flag for people who may not have wanted to get involved with the party that may now feel some ownership of it and be more inclined to get involved? Is there a thought there about that? Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no thought. That's the reality. Um, we've already seen a number of new donors come into the party who who had never donated to not just the Tennessee Democratic Party, but there's no record we can find of some of these people ever donating to any candidates. Uh, there's people who are signing up to volunteer and already calling saying, hey, I hadn't been a part of this process before, but I'm excited about it. It's great to see a, a black party chair. You know, all those great things. And it just doesn't go for for black people. You know, we have also have white people from rural Tennessee who are like, you know, for me, it's been to hell with politics. But now I feel like, you know, somebody's making change and people have have called me and emailed me to tell me stories about how their how their children have moved them uh, beyond some of those racial stereotypes and prejudice that have existed. And, th and they've been really candid about some of their thoughts, about some of their thoughts, but they've been also very excited and they've been 
extending that outreach of how can I make a contribution? How could I volunteer? What do I need to do to, to make sure that I'm registered and all that good stuff? So, so I'm feeling hopeful. And the historical aspect only makes it that much better. I'm going to ask you Carol Abney's question here because it's sort of along the lines of what you were saying. She says, what's the most important thing folks can do to support right now? Like what, what's the pitch when people say, hey, how do I help? What do you say to them? <laughs> Open a new tab and go to tndp.org and make a contribution. Uh, become a small dollar uh, contributor to the party because we're looking to build a financial um, foundation that's driven by ordinary folks from all across the state, whether that's a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars a month. Uh, it, it'll it'll go a long way in making sure that we can mobilize uh, uh, people and programs across the state to really be able to win. But you know, if you're not able to, if you're not able to uh, contribute, uh, just let's start this. What what I learned in business is this popcorn effect. Start talking about what's to come for the Democratic Party. Start telling your classmates and your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers about, uh, and your family members about what the Tennessee Democratic Party is doing. Because what people need to understand is that our top focus is reclaiming that mantle of being the party of the people. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is that we have ordinary people who are out there vouching for the party. So let's talk about that real quick. Uh I think this is, you're going to get a million answers if you ask a million people this question, but you know, what does the party stand for? What is the party about? Like if someone says, okay, you know, what is the Tennessee Democratic Party? What are, you know, the Republicans, and, and I've heard a few interviews with you already where you've gone on offense trying to define what Republicans are about a little bit more, which I think is smart. Uh, you know, they've really done that to uh, Democrats. So I, I ran as a Democrat. I could say that. Uh, you know, what do you want people to think of when they think of the Tennessee Democratic Party? And then as sort of a side note of that, do you think it should be different in different parts of the state? Yeah, it's, 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 it, exactly. Well, it should be different in different parts of the state. But the one thing that I'm most, most, uh, that I most want to hear people saying is that, you know, the Democratic Party is going to look out for people. That's, it's just that simple. People have got to believe that we are the party and, and not just believe, but people people should know that we are the party that's going to look out for people, helping to make people's lives better, uh, whether that's through a progressive format or a more moderate format in policy objectives. Uh, we've got to make sure that people understand that, that, that we really have the interest of ordinary, hardworking folks at the at the heart of everything that we're trying to do. And then uh, depends on where you are in the state. Obviously, that message, uh, how that message comes across is, is going to be different. Um, I, I talk about politics being about two things, what's in our hearts and what's in our pockets. Um, on most of those social issues about the things that falls those things that, uh, that deals with the, the social issues in our hearts, uh, that message will work in certain parts of the state. Uh, but all across the state, the one thing that we know is impacting people the most is what's in our pocket. So those economic issues will be important. So it depends on where you are in the state and the issues that's driving uh, that's driving that demographic. We have to make sure that our strategic plan provides a broad message that can be utilized in every in every er geographical region across the state and applied in a way that folks in those areas can understand it. 
do you see it as okay we need to spend more time turning people out and, and getting to people in memphis north nashville you know city areas urban areas to use the euphemism uh because we're you know hope is lost in rural tennessee or you know is there sort of a two-pronged uh fight to be fought uh you know where where how do you see those resources being allocated or you know is it is it an everywhere front or is it like no we need to dig deep where we know we can make progress well most importantly we've got to dig deep where we where we need to make progress if you look at what happened in michigan or pennsylvania or georgia uh, or or arizona what you'll see is that uh, democrats took their blue bastions and we just blew those areas up like blowing up a balloon. We just kept expanding and kept expanding and kept expanding. But what we know in Tennessee is that we're, we're going to have to go out into rural areas as well, because if we don't close the gap by how much Republicans are winning in rural areas uh, by to help supplement uh, that 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 vote that we may not be getting out of the the major democratic uh, democratic strongholds, then we're still going to find ourselves on the losing end of 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 the race. We've got to make sure that we're uh, really mobilizing and engaging our voters voters in the the urban core, and then turning them out in higher than usual numbers. But then at the same time, we've got to be shrinking the margin uh, in which Republicans are winning by in, in those rural areas. So it's so, a two-pronged impact. One thing that I think, uh, you know, and this is a thought, but I feel like you can weigh in is, you know, what sets Tennessee apart from a lot of the other states is we have the highest percentage of evangelicals in the entire country right here in Tennessee. Democrats in general shy away from talking to people about matters of faith, obviously church and state separate, you know, all of that. But do you think appealing to matters of faith? I mean, I believe Democrats carry the message of the Bible a lot stronger than Republicans do, even though they claim to, it's about taking care of the poor, taking care of the stranger, taking care of your neighbor. Do you think that there should be more and more intentional effort to meet people where they are when it comes to matters of faith? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, and, and Justin, that's a good that's a good outlook to have, because most of the time when we talk about faith and politics, people think about the Republican Party and they think about white evangelicals. But if we're being honest, but there are there are a whole lot of, uh, of African-Americans who are deeply entrenched in, in, in the faith community. And, uh, and they, a lot of African-Americans harbor some conservative mindsets when it comes to uh, faith-based uh, viewpoints on policies. But what we tend to find is that uh, when we talk about Democrats and, and, and their faith as applying it to policy, we understand that our personal beliefs aren't to be impressed upon every person we meet. You know, people should have a choice and we respect that choice. So we should be talking about faith and utilizing faith as necessary, but we shouldn't be weaponizing it the way that Republicans do. Uh, you ask for hey, minimum wage is seven twenty-five. Oh, in the Bible, it says you're, you're great if you make 50 cent an hour. You know, they they weaponize they weaponize faith in a way that that makes them end up looking like hypocrites at the end of the day, uh, where Democrats understand that, you know, it, it's not our it's not our job to judge uh, our neighbors. Uh, it's our job to make sure that they have an opportunity to be 
prosperous and creating an opportunity for them to be able to live their best lives uh, while, while here on earth. Somebody, so, yeah, that, somebody that I thought did a good job of that in the last election was Buttigieg. He was constantly talking about it without, you know, without ramming it down people's throats, but he, he showed that you can have yeah. that conversation and Tennessee is really unique in that way. So I just wanted to put that bug in your yeah. ear about that. Uh, going on offense for a second, I've heard you in a couple of interviews already talking about the Republicans in a way that, you know, I hadn't heard in a while. Do you think it's important for Democrats to define, to, to go about defining Republicans and reminding people what they're actually doing rather than just talking about themselves? Absolutely. And that's and that's one of the things that I plan on making sure that we do, um, because, you know, we're Democrats. We know where we stand on the issues. Our voters know where we stand on the issues. And every time Republicans try to define where we stand on the issues and we try to defend where we stand on the issues, then, you know, it just it, it takes away from the opportunity that we have to say, hey, this person or this party has done X, Y, Z. Uh, so moving forward, the goal is to to put them on the defense because they've got some explaining to do um, about, you know, how they are recklessly ravaging the lives of ordinary people across the state. So, they, you know, it, it's up to them to explain to the voters of Tennessee why they are so out of touch. And we're going to make sure that we put them in that awkward position of having to explain that to voters in their districts and across the state, because that's important. But. One of the reasons I say that I think about the 2012 election, uh, presidential election, and how effective uh, President uh, Obama's campaign was at, at at defining Mitt Romney before he had a chance to define himself, and how etch a sketch Mitch became <laughs> became what what people what people you know knew about him. But at the same time, you know, we've wasted a lot of resources defending where we stand on issues. We have got to make sure that we're investing and making sure that we're defining how reckless Republicans across the state are. Well, I think that's there's a lot to that. You know, we're number one in medical bankruptcies, number one in rural hospital closures, at the bottom in infinite maternal mortality, at the bottom in poverty, highest percentage of minimum wage jobs. There's a lot of things that people don't know because Republicans don't tell that story. Yeah. So I think a big part of your job is going to be telling that story, telling people all about that. Uh, I want to get to a couple of these questions now. I have a few more for you, but I just want right. people to know that their questions are being heard. Uh, Doug Douglas says, what are your thoughts on being able to assist and encourage even more Dem registration voter turnout to turn it blue like Georgia? I know Georgia is not Tennessee, but what are some things that we can be doing to encourage voter turnout to motivate that? You know, Are there organizations that already exist that you might tap into rather than you know, recreate the wheel. What are you thinking as far as that goes? Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking uh, is, you know, the party can't bear the burden alone. We've got to make sure that we are building collaborative relationships with organizations across the state. I think the most effective ally are, are allies or organizations that voters already trust people who are already, already on the ground doing the work. Um, they can move the needle, I think, a lot better than we can from an office here in Nashville or a, a politician can coming in just telling folks how how to how to go. Whether it's uh, the labor, uh, whether it's labor organizations, 
whether it's uh, social justice organizations. And we've seen organizations who are really doing uh, great work like the Equity Alliance. You know, if we're able to make sure that our allies have the resources and we're all singing from the same sheet of music, I think we'll have a, a, a much greater impact than what we've had in the past. Voter registration uh, is going to be a top priority of mine because, you know, sometimes winning is about being able to look and see where the best opportunities are. And, you know, it, he who register more voters in this state in the end will probably have the greatest impact in, in, in the future years. So we've got to make sure that we're definitely registering more voters. And I think the best way to do it is not trying to bear the burden alone, but building the relationships or reestablishing relationships with allied organizations across the state to help us do it. Well, you'll end up getting intimately familiar with Secretary of Voter Suppression, Trey Hargett, and his henchman, Mark Goins, who, you know, those are people that everybody, everybody should know their names and have their email addresses handy at all times because they do all they can to make it really difficult, including criminalizing voter registration, which they tried to do a couple years back. Another question here is Marvin Lawson Clark says, what's the first thing to do on your to-do list? The first thing to do on the to-do list is to get my staff <laughs> to build out the staff. Um, you know, obviously there'll be some staff changes and just getting the organization um, set to so meet. Who, the do you, who do you hire just to get specific? Like what, what are roles that you're trying to fill? Yeah. So obviously we've had some traditional roles that, that we've had around for a while. I'm kind of reimagining what some of them will look like. Um, at some point we'll hire in an executive director. That's that's not on the top of the list right now because I'll be handling the day-to-day -day operations uh, early on because I think the organization needs to run a certain way. And before we bring in an executive director, I wanna make sure that I'm setting the tone for what that looks like. Um, what would you look for in an executive director? Eventually? Number one, number yeah, number one is gonna be diversity. Uh, it's gonna be someone who can help also build and foster relationships uh, uh, across the state. It's going to be someone who can help manage an organization. Uh, if I take my hands off the wheel, I won't be nervous about that person grabbing, <laughs> grabbing the wheel to keep us on the road. Uh, it's going to be about finding someone who can connect to voters and someone who can keep the morale of our, uh, of our staff up in the office as well. So I'll be looking for a number. I'll be looking for a number of things. I think but, if I, oh, sorry, go ahead. But one of the, one of the, one of the bigger well, two of the bigger roles that that I think people will see change is uh, I'm going to roll out a uh, a director of voter engagement and political affairs, and that that position will look a little bit different because that person will work side by side with me and and helping to make sure that we're engaging um, all of our allies, but at the same time making sure that we're building out the type of program that voters uh, will be uh, will be proud of and will be more inclined to, to come out to support. And then also uh, uh, a director of data and technology, because if we're not focused on data, if we don't know where our voters are, uh, the trends that our voters uh, that voters are, are, are moving in across the state, where the issues are that's most pressing to voters, then I think we're just, you know, throwing resource, wasting resources pretty much. Uh, so that is going to be a huge part of this administration and how we how we win the future. One thing that might be worth thinking about is, you know, rapid response, mm -hmm. you know, like I always felt like and, and the party kind of did this to some extent, but it always seems like 
reacting to what's going on is an opportunity to bring people in. You know, there's a lot of that going on, but it feels like the party could always be doing more of, you know, being ready for, for what's happening, tapping into people's frustrations in that moment, being ready with a digital program, you know, having graphics, videos, that kind of thing. So that's just something to think about that just that rapid response element seems like something that, that could be coming from the party a little bit more. Yeah. And I, and I had a great conversation. I, I jumped on a call with the Tennessee Young Democrats last night and they were, you know, they were sharing that same sentiment about that rep, about rapid response. And I'll share with you what I shared with them last night. Uh, I talked to them about making sure uh, moving forward, what we're doing is reimagining what our communication shop looks like yeah. so that we have the communications director focus more on the traditional communication side of things, interfacing with the media you know, setting up um, interviews, you know, uh, coordinating with the, the state, uh, the state house and Senate caucuses, and then making sure that we have someone on the staff in that communication shop that deals with the digital, the digital world, creating uh, content, rapid response, social media ads and those type of things. So we're reimagining what the, our communication shop looks like. But of course, it's going to take resources to get it done. Sure. But, um, but we are we are taking that into uh, taking that into account. Ariel Sawyer Brooks says something that I've actually heard from a couple of people now, which is how we re-energize black women who feel overlooked by the party. I've actually heard that from a couple of different people. So that's clearly a sentiment that's out there. What do you say to that? Well, you know, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been making sure that I've, I've reached, I'm reaching out to those, number one, those phenomenal black women who who ran for this job as well, because, uh, you know, I want to make sure that they're included and, and are part of the process. But at the same time, as we're developing and building out what our office staff looks like, you know, when it comes to strategy and, and lead positions in this administration, I hope to have some uh, strong black women in, in the office staff uh, here helping us to set the tone for how the party um, embraces black women across the state. You, I believe I could be wrong about this, but I think when we asked if you were going to have an office in Nashville, you were the only one who said, yes, it was going to be in Nashville. Everybody else said no. Are you standing by that and why? Yeah, I'm standing by that because, you know, just geographically, it just makes sense. Um, if you live in Memphis or if you live in Johnson City, you shouldn't have to put more miles on on yourself than than anyone from any other side of the state. Obviously, if you're in middle, middle Tennessee, you get the advantage. But it, it's just taking into account folks from both sides of the state and making sure that our staff can commute to them in an equally split time. And that if they needed to come to the state uh, headquarters for any reason, they could commute here in, a, in an equal time. But something that I do plan to do as we as we ramp up and start to get financial resources pouring in. I, I plan to establish three part-time regional coordinators in middle uh, west and east Tennessee to be able to interface as liaisons between county parties, democratic stakeholders, and, uh, and voters in, in all three of the regions. That way, uh, it, they will serve as an extension of our office uh, across uh, different regions in the state. So having people there, not necessarily permanent offices, but having people out there. Gotcha. And, uh, and, and, and a big thing is a big yeah. part of that is making sure that if, if absent the Tennessee democratic party being there in, in counties, we've got to make sure that, uh, that we have strong county parties that, you know, that 
that are in line with what's going on with the Tennessee Democratic Party. That way, if those relationships are strong, they also serve as an extension of our state party as well. Well, I'm a big believer that the <laughs> where the rubber meets the road in in the party is the county parties. I mean, the county parties is, you know, that's where the the elbow grease goes in. And, you know, really, I mean, like they're the ones that know where all the bodies are buried, so to speak, in the state and the in the county and where you know who to what buttons to push and who's willing to do the work. And so I, I completely agree. Empowering county parties is really you know, the, the, the necessary work. Uh, and then Teresa is asking a question that I was about to move on to, which is about finding people to run for office. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts about candidate recruitment and, you know, finding people to run sometimes in races that don't feel all that winnable? Well, it goes back to, it goes back to the County level. I think it starts on the local level. Uh, sometimes we look for the shiniest object in the toolbox. And when the, the most relatable person who could connect with the voter might be someone who's totally off the radar. So it goes back to the it goes it goes back to the local level. You know, I want to know who's the mom who's most vocal at the school board meetings. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know, you know, who is the who is the high school football star at the school that's in this district. Uh, I want to know uh, who's who's more more ingrained in the community, registering more voters. Who's doing the choir work? Who's who's getting more people registered to vote? Who's got turn, helping to turn more people out in their precincts? Who's uh, helping to convert more people into donors? Those are the people who I want to be looking for, because obviously they're going to have some insight and some relatability with voters that, you know, uh, the, the most prominent uh, candidate that we're looking at might not have. Sounds good. And and on that note, have you put any thought into what you would like? Not that this is your decision, but <laughs> what you would like to see in a candidate for governor because to me the governor's race is frankly the most important race in the whole state uh it's the only statewide race that talks about state issues mm -hmm. and for that reason the person who carries that mantle you know has the best chance to tell people what's really going on in our state about these state issues so you know it's really important in my eyes to have somebody willing to tell it like it is running in that race, have you put any thought into what a governor candidate should look like? Yeah, I, I, I hope that whoever emerges from the primaries on the Democratic side is someone who can go into any community across the state uh, and be able to connect with voters in, in, in those areas. I hope that uh, I would hope that we have someone who's not afraid to lay gloves on the governor. I don't you know, I don't think we can let him slide by in 2022 as a man of faith. And we say, oh, he's such a good Christian guy. We can't put gloves on him. We need to make sure that we have somebody who's willing to lay gloves on him and, and to take the fight uh, directly to him in the Forget gloves. <laughs> but I, knuckles. I also I also would like to see someone who, who really understands uh, the nut and bolt issues of how we begin to turn the gears in Tennessee to to make the lives of people just better. Uh, and that's going to be the most important thing. Our, our goal is for people to understand that their lives can be so much better under different leadership. And uh, the, the, the perfect governor, the perfect candidate for governor will, will, will be someone who I believe understands that. I have one more for you, but quickly as an aside to that last one, you don't have to tell me names, but have you heard any names at all for governor? 
I, I, you can imagine that my phone's been ringing for a so race. No, not, 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 not suggestions. <laughs> I'm saying like, have you heard anybody who's actually maybe going to do it? You don't have to tell me who. No, no, I, I haven't. Okay. I, when I haven't. Okay. But, I, but I'm sure I probably will soon. Okay. I'm sure you will too. All right. And, and, you know, I'm going to get you out of here. I appreciate you doing all this, taking all this time. Uh, one final sort of question that I have for you is, you know, we're hearing a lot of talk about unity and, you know, stop the div divisiveness. You know, now we're hearing from Republicans who, you know, are some of the most divisive people I've ever seen in my entire life. I guess my question is, do you think unity is still possible with people who still support everything this president stood for, even after all this? You know, I, I think there are some good folks out there who, who have uh, waken up and said, hey, we've been on the wrong side of this thing. But I also do believe that there's a whole bunch of folks out there who are still raising hell behind the scenes because we have a new president and who are just going to be resistant to any sort of unity. Um, and I think a, a lot of this just goes into the idea that the Republican Party has, you know, has lied to voters across the not just in Tennessee, but across the country so much and brainwashed people to believe so many of these deranged thoughts about one another. And until we're able to uh, get above and beyond that, uh, that fear of one another. We're still going to be met with uh, with 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 some sort of resistance uh, while trying to unite. But at the same time, and I, I, I just I just read a comment about accountability when it comes to unity. Um, if if you're going to if you're going to be unified, then you've got to be willing to uh, hold the people next to you accountable and say, "Hey, that's that's not what unity is. You talk a good game, but." That's not what unity is. Practice what you preach. It has to become our mantra. Yeah, without accountability, like Civil Watkins is saying, you know, unity is is a house built on quicksand. You know, it's never going to last. So, well, I appreciate you coming out and doing this. You know, good luck to you. I know you have a, a big job ahead of you. I know a lot of people are rooting for you. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely be interested in talking to you now and again here at the Holler. And, uh, and and we'll be listening to the things that come out of your mouth for sure and, and watching. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. That was Hendrell Remus, the chair for the Tennessee Democratic Party, who just made history becoming the first African-American chair. You know, I, I know that a lot's been made of that. Uh, <clears throat> but he won a race against nine people, and now the job is his, and we'll see – what happens from here on out, you know, he said a lot of things that I think make a lot of sense. I think people are always looking for specifics, you know, when it comes to this and like, okay, how are we going to fix it? What's the answer? You know, and, and that's the tough part I think about being the chair of the party is, you know, people want you to just have that magic sauce right away. And, and it's not easy to have that magic sauce. Obviously there are things that can be done and Fundraising is a big part of that and candidate recruitment. I think you guys are asking a lot of the right questions, but, you know, I ran for Congress and, you know, I didn't know what to expect from a state party. It's hard to really know what a state party operating on all cylinders looks like. You know, I think at the end of the day, everybody needs to, you know, do all you can do. The county parties need to do all they can do. The voters need to do all they can do. The volunteers need to do all they can do. And, and that's really the way that this gets done. You know, 
I know the state party has more resources than most and and yes, you know, they can affect things and choose where to push resources and all of that. And we'll certainly be watching to see what happens there. But, you know, I would just caution against expecting Hendrell to suddenly have that secret sauce, that magic sauce that, that turns everything around right away. We are a different beast here in Tennessee than Georgia is not to say it can't be done. It can absolutely be done. And I think it's exciting to have, somebody new in that chair that, you know, represents a a different part of our state and, and a different community. And that can, people can see themselves in that may not have seen themselves in before. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a good step forward and, you know, I would encourage everybody to be supportive and, you know, definitely give them, give them some time and space and and support and and moving towards where things need to go. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, I don't claim to have all the answers and I, I don't necessarily think he does either. I see some of you thanking us for hosting Talise. Thank you so much for saying that Courtney Weigert says so proud, you know, we'll be here to talk to Hendrell. We'll be here to have more of these interviews. We appreciate all the support you guys give us. We really have grown a lot just in the last six months. We're all over the state now. And that's really because of the small dollar donations that you send our way. So thank you to everybody who is doing that. We'll be back here for the holler hour at 2 p.m. tomorrow. In the meantime, follow all the hollers on social media. Follow us at TN Holler, at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook and TNHoller.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow.